0: Father, thank you that you are the God of all hope. You tell us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that you are the God of all comfort, the the God of all hope. Thank you for giving us hope through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we begin to walk through some ideas about hope, we ask you to make it come alive in our hearts. We give you thanks and praise because you're the, the God who does just that and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to talk to you about the hope Jesus gives. I I want to take uh, probably about seven lessons um, to talk about hope, and and then Pastor Corey's going to come back, and we'll go back and forth for the rest of the year. But uh, um, I, I, I want to begin by explaining hope. This is So basic tonight, I've talked about everything that I'm going to mention to you, probably. Uh, So it's not that tonight will be a lot of new things, but one of the things that we believe God is putting on our heart to do is to really um, establish and and reclaim those basic doctrines. Um, There's a lot of things that we think are elementary, but they're not elementary for new Christians. And they're not elementary for everybody. And a lot of times we hear something dozens of times before we, we ever really grasp the truth of it. Um, I was reading my New Testament devotion this week and I was in Ephesians. And um, in, in Ephesians 5.10, um, I, th- I think it's the new, the new American Standard Version, I'm not sure. But um, in Ephesians 5.10, it says that we are trying to learn how to please the Lord. That doesn't sound very Pentecostal, trying to learn how to please the Lord. But that's what we're doing. We're trying our best to learn how to please the Lord. It's not because His ways are hard. It's not because His way is difficult. But it's because we're frail humans. And and, and Paul recognized that of the churches and in um that part of, in, in Asia Minor, he said uh, to the Ephesians and to all of them he said, "You are trying hard to learn how to please the Lord, and you know what he didn't say you're trying hard, but try harder no he he was so pleased with them for making that effort so that's that's what we need to do is to realize that um, all of us are plugging along together here. I want to talk to you tonight about um the Eternals, faith, hope, and love. Um, Paul says something in Corinthians that is often overlooked um, because it's right at the end of the love chapter. And we all know the chapter on love, but we know it because of the first few verses. That's where we focus. And we sometimes forget because we're so overwhelmed by the first part of the chapter By the time we get to the end of the chapter, Paul said, now faith, hope, and love remain. He's talking about love. Faith, hope, and love remain. That's that's a sentence that just almost shoots right over our head. He says, there are three things that are eternal that will never be done away with. Faith, hope, and love. Now, he ends it by saying the greatest of these is love. In fact, let's read it on your outline. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. He says, "...for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known." And that's kind of a wordy, it gets wordy when you're translating it from Greek to English. But what Paul is saying is this. He says, "...we are living in a world where we don't know everything yet, and not everything that will be revealed has been revealed yet, but it's coming." He says, "...it's coming." And um, he says, he had already pointed out that it's a progression of growth. He said, when I was a child, he said, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, I acted as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, we're on a journey, we're on a progression. He says, but know this, with all of our journeying, there are three things that will always be in demand. And there will be three things that always exist, faith, hope, and love. And then when he gives us those three things, He talks about love being the greatest. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want to focus for a few weeks on this idea of hope. Um, Faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now let's go back to a story we've talked about two dozen times through the years, Daniel chapter 3. And um, you know the story there, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are required to bow down It was the law of the land. we talked about this the other Sunday when we talked about when the government tries to become God. And um, they were commanded, they had to bow. They they had to bow or they would be thrown into the fire. And it was a trap that was set for them. They were set up for destruction. Um, But this is what they said when they were given a second chance by the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. In other words, they said, we don't need to talk and come up with an you know, official position paper. Um, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. Now, I think that is as good an example of a believer living in faith, hope, and love simultaneously. It's easy to find examples of somebody living in faith. I mean, Abraham and Sarah... You know, uh, after a word from the Lord, uh, going to the uh, Home Depot and buying nursery wallpaper. You know that's faith. That's that's believing God because it was. They were told. You know, within a year, about this time next year, you're going to give birth to a son. Um, there are plenty of examples where we read about the dynamic of hope at work. In fact, you might be surprised. Uh, we'll talk about this, I think it's next week, um, how how many times hope is mentioned and how it's such a part of the superstructure of the New Testament doctrine of the church and, and our faith. Um, and then obviously love. We, we know that uh, all we have to do is look at the life of Jesus, see his compassion, see his sacrifice, see his death on the cross. There's plenty of places that we see faith, hope, or love. But this in Daniel 3, and the reason I want to go back over an old familiar story tonight is that I know of no place that typifies all three at the same time any better than this story. Now, let's ask the question, first of all, why and do faith, hope, and love abide? And what was Paul trying to say when he said, uh, these things remain or, or King James, these things abide or abideth the greatest of these is love. Well, I think when Paul says that faith, hope, and love abide, I think what he was saying is all three of them have an eternal dynamic. Faith, hope, and love will exist as part of our lives even after this life is over. We will know the fruit of faith and hope and the, and the increase of love in heaven, I think he's just simply saying when he says these three remain, he said, and you remember, he said, when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect shall be done away with. He was saying, look, there's a lot of things that are important to us right now that aren't going to be important to us anymore. They're not always going to be important to us. Okay. But he said, there are some things that will always be important to us. Have you ever gone through that phase in your house where you just want to simplify? You just want to get rid of things that you've saved. You've had them for 45 years and you haven't needed them yet. Um, You forgot that you had saved them. You saved them because they meant so much to you uh, years ago. But things have changed. It's not that they were evil or wrong. Your life has changed. And what you see as a grandpa is not as important to you as what you saw as a teenager, or even as a newlywed. And so what we do is we get rid of things that had great value to us at one time, but we do it in order to make room for things that are really important, that are really important. And um, he said, these three things, the faith, the hope, and the love, these are things that are really important. See, and he, he wasn't talking about trash. He, talk, he was talking about tongues and prophecies and mysteries, spiritual dynamics that, that were just unprecedented to many of those people. He said, but you've got to understand, even those things will pass away. There will come a time when we don't need to pray in tongues. There will come a time when we don't need a thus saith the Lord from a prophetic voice. Uh, he says, those things, they, they are so vital to us now, but the day is coming. These are things that Paul said, don't despise these things. Don't neglect these things. He says, but understand, even these things are going to be put aside one day. Now, if you're a cessationist, you interpret that to mean, well, after the first group of apostles died, we don't have miracles anymore. That's, Paul wasn't remotely talking about that. He wasn't saying we'll get the church started and then after that they don't need any miracles. Hey, if, if, you, if you have to pay taxes, you need miracles. If you're raising children, you need miracles. And the foolishness of saying we don't need miracles anymore. Um, uh, you know, I I had a guy I went to school with, he said, well, he said, tongues and miracles and gifts of the spirit. He said, that's like a church bell that rings. God needed to do that to get people into the church, but we don't need it to get people into the church anymore. And I said, well, what gets people into your church? He says, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. (laughs) I said, we're all trying to figure that out. I said, we, we, we have not arrived. We're all needing the help of the Lord to get folks in into our church. But faith, hope, and love are the dynamics of eternality. Okay? So there's the eternal dynamic. Christianity itself rests on these virtues. The greatest relationships, such as marriage and family, rest upon these three virtues. We don't have to look far to understand that in virtually everything that has value, whether it's a marriage, a family, a church, whatever it is, they 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 all depend on this three-legged stool of faith, hope, and love. Now, let's ask a second question. Why is love considered the greatest? Um, that's, a, that's a very good question and it's not as easily answered as you think it might be. Um, because let's look at faith, for instance. Faith is essential to Christianity. It's only by faith in Christ that it's possible to come into relationship with God. We're saved by grace, but what is the conduit by which we receive grace? Through faith. Through faith. It's grace that saves us. It's not even faith that saves us. It's grace that saves us, but it is activated by faith. We can't know God without faith. We can't hear God without faith. We can't even know we're lost without a a measure of faith we have to believe God. It's only by faith in Christ that it's possible to come into relationship with God. In a similar way, hope is the conviction. Now let's, let's give a definition to hope right now. We know faith is the, is the substance. It's the, it's the, it's the material of things not seen with the natural eye. That's what the the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hope is is the conviction, if you're following me in the notes, is Roman numeral two where it letter B. Hope is the conviction that God will keep his promises about the future. Now we're going to say, well, what's the difference between faith and hope? It's a matter of tenses. It's a matter of a couple of things that we'll talk about. Um, It's sort of like dividing faith and hope is sort of like trying to divide soul and spirit. They're so close that they're almost interchangeable, but they're not each other. They're not each other. Um, Hope is the conviction that God will keep his promises about the future. Without faith and hope, Christianity does not make sense. They are built in. The Christian idea of salvation, the doctrine of soteriology, how we're saved, The the doctrine of of the work of the spirit, the doctrine of the existence of the church, none of it can be understood. None of it can exist without the components of faith and hope. Um, Yet Paul insists that love is greater even than these two bedrock virtues. It will abide. This is the reason I believe it will abide in a sense, even if after our faith has become sight and our hope in eternity has been fully realized. I don't know if you've thought about that, but I'm, I'm not, this can be so easily misunderstood. But when we get to heaven, we will not live by faith anymore everything will be visible. Everything will be touchable. Everything will be realized. And we won't live in heaven by hope because hope, which is based in eternity, is fully realized. The one thing that remains in heaven as an active growing thing is love. There will always be love and I, I, I can't give you a verse for this. I can, I can give you two or three verses that imply it. But I believe when we get to heaven, I, I think the first thing we'll realize when we get to heaven, this is my, this is my conviction, um, the first thing we'll realize when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus, when he returns, however it happens, I've said this, when we see him, we will be amazed at how little we loved him. And not in a condemnation, not in a condemnation, but in a sense of, oh, why did I ever yield to temptation? Why did I ever fail to pray? Why did I ever fail to do what he told me to do or be what he told me to do? When we see him, we will, it's, it's as though our love will suddenly be on miracle grow. And we will, we will love purely because we're like him for the first time in our lives. For the first time in our lives, we'll love purely, we'll love deeply, we'll love intensely, and when we see him, we'll wonder how we could have served him for so long and loved him so poorly. But at the same time, that love that we think has blossomed into an eternal, glorious realization will continue to grow. In my opinion, it will continue to grow. And, and um, I, I, I know that in a sense, when we get to heaven, we will be complete because we'll be like him. But I also think that the love of God cannot be contained even in redeemed lives. So it's gonna be a continual growing and a continual increase. I like what Ellicott's commentary says, faith will vanish into sight. Hope be emptied in delight. Love in heaven will shine more bright. Therefore, give us love. Now, let's, in a little bit of time here, let's consider these three things in more detail. Now, we, we've talked about faith as being the substance of what we cannot see with our natural senses. Um, we talked about hope being the confident expectation a confident expectation that um, uh, God's promises will be brought to pass, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but it differs from hope, I mean, from faith in this respect. Faith uh, generally, faith generally operates for right now, generally operates in the right now. Hope is generally a future thing that says, if I don't have it now, it's okay, it's coming. And it doesn't put any requirements upon God concerning methodology. He doesn't have to do it this way concerning timing. He doesn't have to do it today or concerning vessels that he, that he uses. Okay. Faith is right here in your face. Okay. Um, in a, in a good way, hope is something that we anchor our soul in and we may live for decades in hope over something we, if you read Hebrews 11, that, that's faith's hall of fame. What does it say? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But is it, has anybody ever realized that when you read Hebrews chapter 11, they all live by faith, but not one of them received all that God had promised them in their lifetime because they live in hope. These are applause going off, I think right here. Um, But they lived by faith, but hope is what anchored them throughout their entire life. I want to tell you, hope is what anchors you when you go to the grave of a child. Hope is what anchors you when promises that you're certain God spoke to you have not yet been realized. That's what hope does. Now, love, we'll talk about what love does in a moment. Let's talk about faith. Roman numeral three, letter A, faith. Now, faith uh, is multidimensional. Okay? Um, For instance, faith in its purest, most simplest form means to have trust or confidence. Faith in its purest form is something we believe upon. Something we believe upon. We believe upon Jesus. Um, um, It's not even that we believe in Jesus. at the top of the list, it's belief upon Jesus. It's something like when you, when you go home tonight, you will plop down in a chair. You won't ask your wife to try it out first. You won't, you won't test it. You won't turn it over and examine it. No, you will collapse into that chair. Why? Because you've owned that chair, you know that chair and you trust that chair. It's going to hold me up. That's a, that's a, Maybe a very simplistic way, but that's that 's what faith is in its foundation and 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 it, faith is not only trust and confidence, something that we believe upon, but faith is also elevated understanding. Faith not only gives us the ability to believe upon something or another another verb is believe unto something Faith is also elevated understanding where we believe the veracity or the truth of something. So we believe in it, okay? So whether I believe unto or believe upon or I believe in, it's still called faith. But there's also elevated expectation. That's when we believe for something, and um, when you read the Gospels, it's, it's not nearly as clear cut as we think it is. We, we you know, we, we glibly make claims about um, the power of faith from reading the story of Jesus. But you've got to understand, faith in some passages of the Gospel is faith upon. The, 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 you know, when Jesus said, do you believe I'm able to do this? He wasn't always saying, you believe I can do it? You got faith? No, he was saying, are you willing to believe on me? And much of what Jesus did was verification of his Messiahship. And a lot of when Jesus was pressing people for faith, he wasn't pressing them to go beyond doubt. He was saying, do you trust me with this? Okay. Now, there were other times when it was elevated expectation. Great is your faith. I've not found faith In all of Israel, as great as this Roman centurion's faith. But understand that faith is is broad in the sense that it's it's something that I rest upon. Um, I I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I rest upon that. But sometimes I, I believe in something that transcends logic. Um, You know, uh, I I cringe every time I hear somebody talking about COVID or talking about masks or talk, you know, they talk about the science of it. We've got to believe in the science of it. Science has changed through the ages like leaves in the fall. I'm, I'm not put, and I, I respect science, I, I honor science. I, I thank God for medical advances. I was praying for somebody today that a little baby that was born and the phenomenal things they're able to do because of science, I praise God for it. But my trust and my eternal trust is not in science because they're gonna find out, you know what? They got me off of some foods only to find out that those foods were good for me and I wasted all of that time. So I've just adopted the mindset, now eat it all. That's not intended as medical advice, okay. Um, but faith says, when you, when, you, when you embrace faith, it means that when all is said and done, I rest in this chair. I rest in this chair called Christianity. I believe that the Bible is true even when I don't understand it fully. I believe that the Bible is true even if it seems to run um, contrary to science or logic. And science and logic is not the enemy. But sometimes we make science and logic the God. That's why Paul said science falsely so-called. You know, he he realized there was a, a valid science. He realized that there was Science that tries to make itself God. Um, but I, th- faith is the chair that I sit in that holds me up. It is the foundation of my life. Faith is elevated understanding. It means that though I do not and cannot explain the Trinity, I am quickened in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I'm able to have faith to say, I believe it. I believe it. Do I understand it? No. No. I, I, I know when we talk about time and space, we begin, to, we begin to scratch the surface a little bit of the Trinity. But, um, you know, it, the Trinity can't be explained by an egg. It can't be explained by a pretzel. It can't be explained by water. It, 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 the Trinity is its own thing. And, and it, it, we, we, we use those things to illustrate, but it doesn't bring us to a point of understanding. But faith enables me to say, I believe though I do not fully comprehend. I believe because even though I do not fully comprehend, but there is also the quickening of my heart where I have faith for healing or I have faith for deliverance or I have faith for the miraculous and all, am am I getting this across to you? All three of these things are different but they all fall under the category of faith. They're all faith. Faith comes as a gift of God's grace. Faith comes as a measure for living. It says all of us have been given a measure of faith, um, which indicates to me that our faith, maybe because of our personalities, maybe because of our pursuit of God, maybe because of a, a half dozen factors that we don't fully understand. Some of us might walk in more faith than others, and I may be wrong in saying this, it may be just because we're predisposed to faith because of the sovereignty of God. God made me with a mind like this or God made me with a mind like that and some things are easier for me that might be harder for you or easier for you that might be harder for me. It's the sovereignty of God. It's not about fairness. God says, I'll give everybody some faith and it may be it may be that that faith is enhanced or grows because of the way we embrace it and receive it. I don't know. It may just be the sovereignty of God. It may just be the sovereignty of God. Um, faith can also come as a gift of the Holy Spirit. See, we, we need to understand, um, I, I, I know that we have an anointing on our lives, but healing is a, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not an inherent Everybody has the ability to heal everybody. Uh, Now, I I know there's some level of healing where we're all ambassadors of the kingdom and we all have the right to pray. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying only those with the gift of healing have the right to pray for someone's healing. I'm not saying that. But it's clearly that uh, just as there are some that are empowered to heal, there are some that are empowered to embrace faith in a way that others just don't seem to be able to get their arms around. It's called the gift of faith. And it's hard to describe. It's hard to understand. But that is faith. Faith is a resting on a foundation that I believe even when I don't understand. It's the gift of God and I must try to embrace it. I must try to enhance it by faithful living. But in the end, faith is a gift of God. Okay, now let's talk for a minute about hope. Hope is a future expectation that is fully confident. I've told you, we, we all know this, you know, uh, uh, honey, I'm gonna live with you forever. Well, I hope so, you know, that, that doesn't help either member of the marriage, you know, I hope so. Um, because in, in our English usage, um, it hasn't been like this forever, but the last 300 or so years, hope has become a conditional possibility not a confident expectation. But when the word from Greek translated into English as hope was, was was translated, it was a confident expectation. It is, you see, number two, a future expectation that places no restraints upon God in terms of time and timing, methodology or instrumentation. Um, faith, you might be able to pick up what God is about to do because of hints, because of the the way the spiritual wind is blowing. You might say, oh, I I think I see what God is doing. Hope knows very little of that. Hope says it will come, it will happen, but I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what God will use. Um, Do you know that salvation is is uh, it, it, when he talks about the armor, and, and then in Thessalonians he talks about it as well. Salvation is considered our hope. Now, we don't come to Jesus saying, "I hope I'm saved." We know we're saved. But what when we call salvation hope? When we talk about the armor of God, we have on the the helmet of salvation, uh, or as Paul d- talked about having, you know, for for a helmet the hope of, of salvation, Paul wasn't saying, maybe we'll make it. You know, Paul was saying, we know we're going to make it, but we don't know what we're going to go through. We don't know the battles we're going to fight. We don't know the victories that we will win. We know where we end up, but I don't know what it's going to look like by the time I get there. That's not doubt and unbelief. That's confident expectation. Like old Charles Greenaway used to say, uh, he's a great missionary in the Assemblies of God. He used to tell his fledgling missionaries all the time. He said, God can pull you through. The question is, can you stand the pull? (laughs) You know, at first I heard it, I laughed. Then I went through Peter's time. It wasn't funny anymore because it was true. Now I'm finding great confidence in it. God will pull you through, but you've got to understand, it, it may feel like it's dislocating your arms to get pulled through. Do you know that the return of the Lord is, the, is called the blessed hope? The blessed hope? And there's no, we don't sit around saying, well, I hope Jesus will come. Maybe he's changed his mind. No, the blessed hope means that it's a blessing to us to know that he will return. Yep. Now, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? We, we, we can disagree on that. Uh, is, uh, you know, are these the last days? Well yeah, they're all the last days but what well, well, is this the last of the last days you know is is this antichrist is that antichrist? I mean, we can differ and 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 have question marks about all kinds of things you know what what are the four horsemen you know um, uh, uh, of the apocalypse? what are the four horsemen or, um, uh, I i heard of a restaurant that served a great meal it was called the the four horse meats of the egg porcalypse, you know. <laughs> what what are these things? What are these things? Well, we're not sure. We're not sure that we understand everything in the book of Revelation. You know, is it is it a literal physical fulfillment or is it a literal symbolic fulfillment? You know, what is it? The, the book of Revelation is unlike any other book in the New Testament. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's called, you know, it's, it's apocalyptic literature. And, and we, we only have some uh, just portions of the Old Testament that are apocalyptic. But apocalyptic is a different animal. And so we, we may have strong disagreements on what this means or this means or this means. But I don't see how any Bible-believing Christian can have a doubt that Jesus is coming again, okay? So it's the blessed hope. We don't know when, we don't know how. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we, we we don't necessarily understand all the methodology or the instrumentation that God will use, but it's not an issue. You know, loved ones, I know Jesus is coming again. I know Jesus is coming again. I, I know when um, Desert Storm broke out uh, back in the, in the nineties. And, uh, and we went to war. Um, I, I, I was pastoring a, a largely military church and I had a, a guy that was being shipped out. Um, and he called and he said, I haven't served the Lord since I was a little boy. He says, but I know what my mama taught in our Sunday school class. And I, I want to know, do you think that this guy might be, uh, that Hussein might be the antichrist. Do you think this, do you think that? And he asked good questions. And I said, you know, the bottom line is, I don't know, but I do know this. You're a sinner that's been running from God all of your life. And the question is, are you going to return to him? Because anything I tell you about the apocalypse might be right. It might be wrong. But the question is, are you going to serve the Lord? I don't know if he ever gave his heart to the Lord, but we sometimes find ourselves trying to answer the wrong questions, but hope says it's not necessary to get an answer to every question. The, the hope says the, the, the necessity is seeing what is true and knowing that it's going to happen and are we, are we ready for that? Um, number three, faith seems to be the foundation for now yet has a strong not yet component to it as well. Hope seems to be more relegated to our future. Uh, Romans 8 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. Okay. Now love, let's talk about that. Even though our emphasis in this series is gonna be about hope, let's talk just for a minute about love. Love is a devotion that is enriched by understanding and action yet transcends understanding and action when situations complicate relationship or existence. That's a mouthful. But what it says is this, love can be enriched by understanding, love can be enriched by action, but it's greater than understanding and action, especially in complicated situations that we do not understand. When you really love someone and you've been married with, to them long enough to have a track record, you, you, you find that something shifts. And sometimes, you know, in, in, on Hallmark Channel, it happens right away. Um, you know, sitcoms, it happens in 23 minutes. But the, the reality is somewhere, you don't know where it is. Some people, it's a few weeks. Some people, it's a few months. Most people, it's a few years but you cross a line where you no longer demand to understand your spouse as much as you do to love them. And what that means, and I know this spawns joke after joke after joke, but understanding your spouse becomes less important than loving and serving your spouse. In other words, you know that even though you may not understand something you know that love will prevail and love will triumph and you know you're going to to get through that. Faith and hope will find their ultimate fulfillment in the eternal presence of God, but love will exist and I think grow continually throughout eternity. Hope settles the future with a calm expectation and a steady assurance. Okay, Now, faith, hope, and love, I hope I've done a decent job of explaining that to you tonight. Um let's, let's look at a couple of Christian life lessons, and that's where we'll end this evening. Um, here's, here's oldie but goodie. Remember the concept of tenses in the Christian life? Um, I've taught about this so much, especially on Wednesday nights. I know I've hit it on Sunday probably three or four times through the years, but I know we've gone over it probably six or eight times on Wednesday nights. There are tenses in the Christian life. And if you don't understand the tenses, you will be a frustrated Christian that will be eternally angry with God, or angry with the church, or disenchanted with other Christians, if you don't understand that God operates by tenses. and there's past, present, and future uh, element of salvation. I am saved from the penalty of sin in the past. When I came to Jesus and accepted his sacrifice on the cross, at that point, I was saved from the penalty of sin. Hell is removed from my life and I'm going to heaven. Um, I, I, the, the day will come either at the rapture or, um, you know, if death claims us and we go into the presence of God, the day will come when uh, I will be saved from the very presence of sin, the very possibility of sin. But all of us that are here tonight, we're in that middle period. We're in that middle tense. Um, I'm being saved. And right now, I, I was delivered from the penalty of sin. I will be delivered from the possibility of sin. But right now, I'm being delivered from the power of sin. Sin shall not rule in you. Sin shall not reign in your mortal bodies. You say, well, yeah, but you should have seen me two days ago. Well, we may not be everything that we're going to be, but we are not what we used to be either, okay? So that's why you read scriptures in the New Testament that use the past tense very clearly. I was saved. You were saved. You know, Paul talked about people with with lifestyles that were not pleasing to the Lord. He said, and such were some of you. That's what you were. But now you are sanctified, now you are justified, now you are redeemed. Um, so I can say with great confidence when I read the New Testament, I was saved. It was in February of about, about February of 1965, 10 years old, I come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I'd, I had loved him all of my life as far as I know. I had never gone off into drugs and wild women and alcohol, you know. At 10 years of age, I was a church kid. I was raised in church. There was never a time in my life when I don't remember loving Jesus. Never. Now, I failed in plenty of times, but all my life I love Jesus. But I want to tell you on that Sunday I understood for the first time in my life that I was as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And though I did not and and boy, it was it was a hard thing to realize back in the 60s and early 70s because that was the day of the Jesus movement and Jesus people. And if you didn't have a wild and woolly testimony, you weren't worth listening to. But I didn't have a wild and woolly testimony, but I can tell you, I knew that I was eternally separated from God. As a 10-year-old boy, I knew that I had. Fallen short of the glory of God, all we like sheep had gone astray, and I knew that the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I can tell you on that Sunday night at East Side Assembly of God, down on, uh, on 10th Avenue and, and Gregory Street, I knelt and gave my life to Jesus. and that night I went down and knelt down as a sinner, and I stood up as a saint. I was saved but can I tell you that I'm also in the process of being saved? Uh, I'm becoming more like Jesus. I hope I am anyway. My wife's here. I know that's a dangerous thing to say when when your spouse is here, but I hope I'm becoming more like Jesus. I think I'm more like Jesus than I was a year ago. I think I love him more than I did two years ago. It, 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 It doesn't mean that it's still a battle question mark. No, it means I'm being sanctified. I'm being refined. I'm being polished into the image of Christ. I, I was saved, but I'm being saved. I'm being saved. And the day will come. I don't know if it'll be with the rapture. I don't know if it'll be by death, but the day will come when I will close these eyes for the last time, These lungs will take their last breath. This heart will beat its last time. And when I open my eyes, I shall be saved. I shall be in the fulfilling place that God has promised all along. Okay, so remember the tenses in the Christian life. And that's the only way you can understand how God works in your life is to understand he settled something already. And he's promised you something that's beyond description. It's right now that we have these battles. Here's the second Christian life lesson. This may be the same dynamic that is reflected. These tenses may be the same dynamic reflected in faith, hope, and love. I have faith to believe God for what he has done. Faith speaks of my way of living in the present. Yet faith settles the past and joins with hope as a designation for the future. I have hope that everything God has promised will be fulfilled in his time, his way, and through his chosen instrumentation. Okay, so I I have faith in what God has done and what he's doing in my life right now. I have hope that everything he has promised will come to pass in his time and his way. But when I do not understand my life, when faith is not enough or hope is not enough, I can love him. And say, say, Lord, I trust you when I don't understand what you're doing. How did Charles Spurgeon say it? it the, quote, the quote differs depending on the source you use. Because he said it several times. And, and the quote's a little bit different. He said, uh, I have learned that in the the struggles of life. And Charles Spurgeon had such incredible battles with, with depression. Um, we, we today would probably mean it's easy to speak of somebody when they're gone. You know, you think you got them figured out. Um, But I, I think today he would be diagnosed as clinically depressed. He, would, he went through bouts when he wouldn't come out of his room uh, because he, he was, such a cloud was over him. He would only receive meals. That was all he would do. And there are times when he would do that for weeks, come out only to preach, go back into the room and fight the darkness that was trying to overtake his soul. I think he was sick. I think there was something wrong with him physically or, or emotionally or, or hormonally. I don't know. Um, He wasn't an evil man, but he had incredible battles, but he kept coming back. You know, he kept coming back and sometimes it wasn't, it didn't debilitate him that long. Sometimes it did, but this is what he said. He said, I've learned when the vicissitudes of life, when the issues of life get beyond my ability to understand. Oh, I love this. He said, when I cannot trace his hand. He said, I can't figure out what he's doing or why he's not doing. He said, when I can't trace his hand, I will trust his heart. He said, he loves me. That's what love does. Love says, I don't know why faith isn't working. You know, it worked in the 65 revival. Faith worked when I had colon cancer. Faith worked when I needed a, you know, a husband, but I don't know why it's not working now. Loved ones, there are times that faith will not seem to operate. And there are times that hope, by its nature, you expect it down the road. But there are times that the enemy will make your hope almost mock you. And you you feel mocked and taunted by the enemy. And that's when this thing called love kicks in. And that's what Job meant when he said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I know it sounds hokey. I know it sounds like a a cheap uh, dime store romance novel, but there is a place in God where when faith doesn't seem to be operating, there's a place in God where hope seems to be so distant that you can't even reach out and put your arms around it. There is the dynamic of love that says, whether anything works out or not, I know God is good and he's good all the time. And, and it, that's not just a mind game. That's not just a positive confession. If that's all it is to you, it's going to let you down. It's going to bite you sooner or later if you just try to use it as cheap talk. But there is a place in God where regardless of what you feel or don't feel, regardless of, when you, uh, of, of what you can touch and not touch, I, I, I have seen it at funeral after funeral when it's not fair what happened. It's not right by anybody's standard of measurement what happened. Or you see a child that suffers the insufferable, uh, unthinkable. There's, your mind can't go there and just say it's no big deal. It is a big deal. But what keeps people going is the incredible love for God that says, though he slay me, I will trust him. I will trust him. And I know that people don't want to go there. They don't want to live there because I want to tell you, it's incredible peace, but it's incredibly costly. It's incredibly costly. I remember one time when I was in seminary, I didn't have any money. I had an old car. It was in the shop. It was at the dealer. They were the only ones that could fix it. And I took it in there and I went and sat in a 78 LTD, brand new. That smelled, it was just, I said, I am going to buy one of these. All I need to do is get out of here, get a job. I'm going to buy one of these. That was in 1977, actually, the 78 model. And you say, well, did you buy it? I did. I did. I bought a 1978 Ltd. Top of the line. The problem was I bought that seventy-eight in ninety-six. <laughs> I, I really did. As yeah, I, it was it was a piece of garbage by the time I got it. But I had fulfilled, I had fulfilled my dream. You know, um, I ended up. I ended up. It was just one nightmare after another. I got about eighteen feet to the gallon and. Uh, Sometimes I had to crank it up and let it run. And um, one day I went and I cranked it up to let it run. I had to change clothes every time because it had such an exhaust smell. And uh, I cranked it up. And um, Jeremy came in from school. He said, Daddy, why is the car running? And I realized that I had left it running for about six hours. And as I walked out, I heard this. I'd burned up an entire tank of gas, I mean the entire tank of gas. It was at that moment I decided that dreams are one thing, nightmares are another. And somebody needed a car, I said, just take this one. And they said, how much do you want for it? I said, I reached in my wallet, I said, here's $40. You take the $40 and the car, just don't bring it back. There are going to be times that everything that you need will feel like that. The question is, can you survive, can you survive God's apparent inactivity? Back to the Hebrew children. Justin, will get you to be ready. Come on up here. Um, back to the three Hebrew children. Okay, we've talked about this. I know. I know. I don't mean to bore you with old stuff. But again, this is the illustration. Faith, hope, love. We know that our God is able. We have have faith. And we believe that somehow he will deliver us. I think that's where they shifted to hope. You know, he may not do what we think he's going to do, and he may be taking us to heaven, but we're going to end up winning this battle. We're going to end up winning this fight. But then a remarkable thing was said. But even if he doesn't, if it looks like we lost totally, if it looks like everything we've rested upon has been pulled like a chair pulled out from under us and we land on our keister and we're hurt and, we're, and, we're, and it seems we're forsaken by God, even if nothing works, we will not bow down. To this idol. You know, you know what they were saying? They were saying God has the power to, be, to deliver us. And what's more, he not only has the power, we believe he's going to do it. But if he doesn't, we're still going to love him. If, if he doesn't, we're still going to serve him. If he doesn't, we're not going to do what the world is telling us we ought to do. And loved ones, that's why I've said, and I and, and I lose people in the church almost every time I say it, but if you don't have an if not in your theology, you're going to be in trouble one day, because you're not going to understand why God lets you go in the fire. We said, "Well, <laughs> I don't mind going in the fire. There was a, the Son of God was in there. He doesn't show up all the time. Oh, he's there. I know that. Don't don't get in an uproar. I know he's there." But sometimes we don't see him in the fire delivering us. Sometimes we see him at the right hand of the Father standing to receive us into his presence. The question is, can you love him? That's, that's, where, that's where this balance of faith, hope, and love kicks in. Now, the reason I wanted to start with this is there's, it's going to be easy with the rest of the lessons. It's going to be easy to think that I'm saying God's not going to do anything. Or it's going to be easy to think that I'm saying faith is nothing. No, there's sometimes, I think God just asks a question, you believe I can do this? You know, I, I know that. When we understand hope, if hope is taught the way it ought to be taught, everybody will have an issue with this thought. Is pastor saying that God's not going to show up? No, I would never say that. He always shows up. The question is, does he show up? the way we think he ought to show up? And will he give me the desired end that I have? That's the question. And that's that's where you say, though he slay me, I will trust him. If you're listening online or if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and savior, when the service is over, get with one of the pastors or get with the friend you came with, if you know that they're a Christian, and let them introduce you to the God who is worth serving and the God who is worth loving at all costs. He said, he'll receive you. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast them aside. He's able, he's willing, and he will.